Our scripture this morning opens with a quick reminder. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. This is important information because it sets up the big surprise when God does speak. Eli is in charge, and he's already in bed. Young Samuel the apprentice is sleeping in the room near the Ark of the Covenant. This is also important because if God were to talk to anyone anywhere, the ancient custom and understanding was that it would be to someone asleep near the Ark. And then a well-known, somewhat comedic scene ensues. A voice calls to Samuel. Samuel wakes up and he jumps up to see what his master Eli wants. He announces his presence and his willingness to act with, here I am. But we know that it wasn't Eli who was calling. Three times Samuel runs into Eli's room like a good lad. And with what must have been great patience, Eli is roused from slumber three times for what seems like no reason at all. But Eli was perceptive, for if it is not he himself who is calling young Samuel, who is? Eli has a moment of insight, and he suggests Samuel stay right where he is the next time he hears this voice. Stay near the Ark of the Covenant itself and ask God to reveal God's self to you. I wonder if Eli was able to get back to sleep. Or did he stay up all night wondering how the evening might play out? Samuel goes back to bed, and again God calls. Samuel answers, speak, your servant is listening. And God speaks, and Samuel listens. And Samuel did not go running to Eli with the news. Speak, for your servant is listening. Brave words for a young boy to muster. I wonder if he had any idea of what might follow. Speak, for your servants are listening. These are powerful words. They imply agency by both Samuel and God. Samuel, in particular, asked God to say something directly to him, which was a pretty big deal back then as it is today. It's an earnest prayer. Then he promises to listen and respond as a servant. And a servant is not going to listen and then judge whether he can fit it into his calendar or not, right? No, a servant is committed, for better or worse, to listen and then respond. And I feel for him because it seems to me that when God speaks in this part of the Old Testament, it's often to a prophet with not-so-comforting words. It's rare that God says, the status quo is just fine and pleasing in my sight. Keep going. Nowhere in scripture does God show up to compliment that new way you're wearing your hair. It's just lovely. The glasses, they're really charming. (laughs) No, when God shows up to speak to a prophet, it's usually to get something done or to assure people that everything will be all right, as in future tense, because life is particularly difficult or scary in this moment. And in this particular moment in our story, the temple priests are blatantly misbehaving, and the people, along with God, are fed up. A loud voice is disturbing Samuel's sleep, and he's given the advice to ask the voice to speak. And it doesn't get any easier for Samuel. God says, listen up. I'm going to hold Eli and his sons accountable for the way his sons have repeatedly been corrupt in their duties as the priests. 
Eli is aware of the problems, but has not stopped them. And if you were to read the previous chapter, chapter 2, and do, because it's fascinating, there are two places where Eli is made aware of the problems and of God's anger. And Eli does not end his son's disgraceful behaviors. So it is interesting that in this evening, God decides to make a final judgment to the child in the house. How frequently the truth comes out of the mouths of young people. The boy Samuel was called to speak God's word, and in this case, to tell his elders that they are all losing their jobs as God's priests. Ouch. Oh, and by the way, you, the young man, are the new leader. Surprise! It must have been a long night for Samuel, too. Frustrating, confusing, sleepless. The next morning, there's a reversal, and it is Eli who searches out for Samuel. Samuel greets him with the familiar, here I am. He is obviously afraid. Eli knows something is wrong and tells Samuel to speak the truth. And Samuel repeats God's word. And Eli has the grace to listen. And isn't it interesting that the word from God is not some miraculous vision in this case? It's not something out of the ordinary. It's not colorful images. God did not say anything particularly new or out of the ordinary. God spoke to Samuel about cleaning house in the name of justice. Samuel knew the problems. Eli knew the problems. It was not out of the blue. God had had enough. And God repeats a desire for leaders to treat their people with dignity and mercy. God demands justice and respects and respect return to the temple leadership and thereby the entire community. It all makes sense in context, and they all knew it was coming. Yet in the pronouncement is a call for change, and change is not easy. That might be the understatement of my sermon. Change isn't easy. Change is difficult, and it can be quite painful. And yet it's necessary for new growth. Unless, of course, you want to stay exactly where you are. But I think God loves each of us too much to let us stay the same, both as individuals and as a community. Many people talk about their personal discernment in similar terms to this story. They feel as if God is calling them, but they are not sure. It takes running around, stumbling around in the dark for a while before they run into the right people and situations that can help them tease out what it is they are feeling called to do or to say. In many ways, we need one another. We depend on friends, families, mentors, and all types of community to help us recognize and respond to God's initiative. I really appreciate the one way the scholar summed up the passage. He says, God's call comes when we least expect it, and often to those we least expect. God is always the God of surprises. We as a church need to be like Eli, encouraging everyone to hear the voice that calls them forth into all they are created to be. And at the same time, we help each other to tell the truth, even when the truth is hard to hear. Truth is often hard to hear for a variety of reasons. And I wonder sometimes if we can hear God for all of the noise coming at us in our community. To borrow a phrase from Dr. Cornell West, we live in a culture of mass distraction. 
The media speaks in sound bites that change constantly. Telemarketers call us by name and know us by the pattern of our shopping and online browsing. Is there a word from the Lord amidst all the noise? Would we be able to recognize God's speech if it landed in our inbox or whispered in our ears? Would it wake us up in the middle of the night? Is that God or indigestion? Is that God or should I just turn over? Some calls are clearer than others, especially in hindsight. Some calls for justice may be clear, but we may not know how exactly we are to respond yet. Sometimes we must say, here I am, for years, before we figure out how to say, speak, Lord. And often when God's voice speaks of justice, it's speaking to a community, and it takes a community to respond. I don't have to tell you that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a calling. We all know he had a dream. And we can, cannot separate Dr. King from the civil rights movement. One cannot exist without the other. And movements are about people, groups of people coming together because they have all been stirred to action in some way by God's voice. Today's bulletin cover is an image from one of the marches in Selma, Alabama in 1965. What I appreciate about this photo and the new movie Selma is the way it shows ordinary people responding together in community to march through the streets and to hold the community accountable. We cannot separate Dr. King from the thousands of people who kept the struggle for equality alive and inching forward. The movie in particular does a nice job of highlighting the many ways leaders came together, not always on the same page, but always with the spirit of prophetic justice, to struggle together to create something new, to create change. These people struggled to do God's will as they struggled to love courageously. And we, all of us, continue the struggle as we question assumptions about race, work to end hunger and poverty, and strive for justice around the earth. We continue to love and respond to God's call, too. I found a quote by Dr. King towards the end of his life and ministry. It was about the time he had decided the Lord was calling him to be even more radical in the ways he loved humanity. He was being cut off from previous avenues of support because he was talking about poverty and ending the war in Vietnam. His remarks were delivered at Riverside Church in New York on April 4, 1967. And he says, As I have moved to break the betrayal of my own silences and to speak from the burnings of my own heart, many persons have questioned me about the wisdom of my path. At the heart of their concerns is query. This query has often loomed large and loud. Why are you speaking about the war, Dr. King? Why are you joining the voices of dissent? Peace and civil rights don't mix, they say. Aren't you hurting the cause of your people, they ask. And when I hear them, though I often understand the sources of their concern, I am nevertheless greatly saddened, for such questions mean that the inquirers have not really known me, my commitment, or my calling. It seems that the more Dr. King followed in God's path of radical love, the greater his capacity to love grew. I remember him as a man who loved somebody, who loved the whole world, 
black people in particular, and whose words ring true today as a continued call to tear down walls that divide us from one another, especially those that hurt those living in poverty. Dr. King's legacy is many things, and I take comfort in knowing he was challenged to change his whole life. He was challenged to change his whole life. I take comfort knowing that God was still speaking to him, and it wasn't easy, not even for Dr. King. For if the great Dr. King needs to change, then there's probably a new word for this servant, too. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening and praying and coming together. May we continue to come together in service to one another, to hold one another when we cry, and to support one another as we dig around for the truth, and as we strive to live with integrity and love the world radically. May we do so together, in Christ's name. Amen.